When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com You are listening to the Glass Cannon Network, the premier source for role-playing game entertainment. Welcome to Cannon Fodder. A behind-the-scenes look at the Glass Cannon Network. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to Cannon Fodder. It is Wednesday, November 15th, 2023. I'm your old buddy, Joe O'Brien. And I'm Troy. Last Christmas, I gave you my fart, LaValle. <laughs> gave you my... <laughs> <laughs> What's up, everybody? Man, you're just coming in hot pooping on the Christmas season. It's your favorite no, time just, of year, dude. We were just making uh, little poop sounds pre-show, and I, I thought it was really funny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it never, show. never gets old. The, the poop sounds never get old. Nope. My kids love them. <laughs> they really kill with the kids. I'll tell you, though, I don't like using the word fart around my children. And I don't I like agree. when I hear it on TV. I'll say uh, toot. Or, love uh, a toot. Love, love a good, a good toot. toot. Uh, or even like uh, I used to say poop. Oh, you pooped. But my wife was like, they didn't shit their pants. They, they, they tooted. <laughs> like, All right, toot. So I moved on to difference. toot. And I love toot. Fart just sounds vulgar. It does. And toot is equally as funny as fart. It's oh. not like you give up the funny. Like you, you say somebody toots, it cracks everybody up. You might enhance it. Yeah, it might even enhance it. I mean, yeah. it is just such a guarantee. It's like, uh, I don't know. I've never been a stand-up comedian, but I imagine it's like being a stand-up. And when you just need a laugh, you just need one, you go into the well, and I'll just say to my son, did you just toot on me? And he goes, <laughs> wow! Like, it, like it, running around energized with laughter and happiness. It's just a simple toot goes a Dude, long way. So much of comedy is just like you change a word, a single word. Uh, the right synonym, synonym makes enhances the funny by 10, 15, 20%. <laughs> the greatest comedians are the ones who've worked those bits so many times that there's no fat on those bits. Like they've, they've chosen the best word for every moment. I mean, Seinfeld is sort of the, the poster boy for this. Like his words are so precise, but the whole legion of comedians that have come uh, past the Seinfeld era, like they prescribe to this. And uh, when you can do it in the moment, uh, it's always, it's always wonderful. Like, Oh, that was just the perfect word for that. Um, but uh, when you have uh, some time to work on the bits, finding those perfect words makes all the difference. Welcome back to the FOD, everybody. We are, man, great FOD this week. I'm like super psyched for this FOD. There is a lot of news to talk about. There is big, big news in our industry. There is a fantastic episode of the show. There's a chunky We Are Stupid. There's uh, great listener mail. I mean, this this one's going to be a good one. Uh, hang in there with us uh, for all of it. But let's jump right out of the gate with some hot Hot news. Hot goss. Uh, as, yeah, we've been talking about this for a couple weeks, but this week it's actually happening. Friends of the Pod Gloomhaven drops this week. <laughs> Friends of the Pod. So the new Gloomhaven RPG, which is in uh, working, which is 
being worked on now. Uh, you could say it's in a beta, but really it's it's in its backer kit phase, and there's uh, updates coming out every couple of weeks as they're co- they continue to tweak and revise the rules. Uh, we began playing around with this game at Gen Con. At Gen Con in the booth, you might have caught it. We did character creation there. I ran it. Skid played in it along with Paula Deming, Josephine McAdam, and Sydney Emanuel. They created characters together for a little one shot that McDee and I put together. A little uh, homebrew one shot. Well, that one shot is airing this Friday at 8 p.m. Eastern on our Twitch channel. I'm very excited for it. I hope everybody really enjoys it. What's really cool is being a not a part of, but being a witness to the game development process. Because a lot of the game has changed since August. So we created characters in August, but didn't play the game until late October. And now it's like, you know, we had to quickly sort of involve some elements that didn't even exist in August. So it's been a really fun uh, experience, and I hope you guys enjoy it. So Friday night, check that out, and we'll talk more about that uh, about that later. In fact... We are planning. Just put it out there. We're going to warm up a little. We're going to get you a little, uh, uh, put you on the the spot here and make a commitment through the FOD. Oh, boy. Troy's been a little bit waffly about uh, hopping online together and playing actual Digital Gloomhaven as a hype uh, before the show airs Friday night. We're talking about doing this this Friday afternoon. Can I lock you in for a live, like an actual live stream on our Twitch channel to just play Gloomhaven like we did during Extra Life? Friday afternoon. Uh, that was the most fun, uh, arguably the most fun I had during Extra Life. It's always a blast. It's always a blast. You know what? Lock me in. I'm in. Yeah! I'm in for some Gloomhaven. I'll just right, move a couple it. things around. <laughs> 12 o'clock Eastern on Friday, live on Twitch, live, live. Let's play some Gloomhaven. Uh, me, you, McDee, oh, yeah. we'll see if we can get uh, anybody to, pl- to play the fourth slot. Uh, Gloomhaven this Friday, uh, we're going to play it just as a warm-up to the to the RPG that evening. So I'm going to play my correct character this time. <laughs> yeah, that was hilarious. <laughs> like halfway through, you're like, wait a minute, why don't I recognize any of these cards? Uh yeah, anyway, that was a great time. And man, we did we, we haven't really talked about uh Extra Life because I was on vacation and we had pre-recorded that fodder, but mm-hmm. Extra Life was incredible. Thank you to everybody that came out and supported us oh and God. supported this great cause. But that was a, a huge boon for uh raising money. That that 3 hours of Gloomhaven, uh, we got a lot done in that time. <laughs> and we won the scenario, which is just so shocking. So it that was it, amazing. It all it all worked out so nice. And it was like Three hours on the dot when we finished the last enemy. Like it was just yeah. perfect. It was perfect. yeah, it was wonderful. And we went into that stream still uh, hadn't hit our goal. Uh, you know, normally we go into those night streams just able to cruise, uh, but we hit it and blew past it. We had a goal of forty five thousand as of right now of this recording. We've raised fifty four thousand three hundred eighty seven dollars. So amazing! Uh, just awesome. Just a great day. I look forward to it every year. It's a lot of work behind the scenes, but uh, it always I always think like. Great cause, great cause, great cause. Just do it. And we do it. And we always crush the goal uh, thanks to the generosity of the nays. Uh We'll be back next year for another uh, 24 hours. Yeah. And this year, we still had not hit our goal after Gloomhaven was done at 1 a.m. It actually got crossed in the overnight, the graveyard shift with yeah. Skid and McD. Those guys powered through, and we got that uh, at that time. So that was that was really exciting. Thanks to everybody that participated. Also this week, we've got Glass Cannon Labs. Labs is back. Jared is running Over the Edge, created characters last week, doing a session this week live again uh, on the channel, 2 o'clock Eastern. That's this Thursday. Keep an eye out for for Glass Cannon Labs. Great crew of uh, L.A. gamers that are all – I think they're all – they game together like they're yeah. they're like they're in an actual like home game or, yeah, or Ross is yeah. in that group. Um, yeah, that's it seems like that's the home group. So that's cool that they're. Yeah, so that's cool. Together. So they have a lot of great chemistry. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm very excited for that. Um, all right. Well, that's it on like the, the network news that's really upcoming. I did have. A, well, you know what? You had some industry uh, news. Well, I had industry news. We'll get to that in a second. Okay. Uh, get in the trunk. Um finale was last night and i want to talk about that recording this before it's happened exactly so what i'm going to do is bump that to next week's fod i just want to talk to you a little bit i want to set aside a little time to look back at season five of get in the trunk we'll talk about that on five let's give everybody a week to digest and listen to that episode because it just would have released on audio at like midnight tonight so let's uh let everybody listen to it next week we'll talk about the get in the trunk finale um 
I can't think about getting the trunk without thinking about Time uh, for Chaos as well. They sort of are kind of hand in hand in a way. Similar themes, you running a game you love, me running a game I love. Uh, Time for Chaos is underway, right? Yeah, yeah, we got a couple couple ups in the old can, as they say. How is it going? How is it feeling? Uh, it's great, man. It's such a different beast than anything we run, and and uh, I'm trying to like. It's a constant battle I have with myself as a perfectionist to try and prep these things and go into it being like, it's gonna be great, it's gonna be great, it's gonna be great, and 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 trying to play loose and really let the players move the story along and not just come in with like, here's the story I want to tell, like let them tell the story. It's just it's very very different from the other games we run and so it stresses me out unlike anything i'm always like why did i do this uh but uh we've got i want to say two episodes in the can right now and it's always a good indication because sometimes i can't tell you see it all the time i'll come off stage from a live show standing ovation and i'm just like that show sucked. That was horrible. I don't know what it was. It just doesn't feel right. And then people are like, what are you talking about? And I watched the video. I'm like, oh, that show was pretty good. Well, I don't know. I felt that. And, you know, I kind of just have this very impossible bar that I set for everything. Um, and so with Time for Chaos, I'm never quite sure. I Like, I'm like, I, I think that was good. I'm not sure. But what gives me hope is that the players are gushing about the first two sessions already. We have like internal texts and internal emails. Rob was sharing something online. They're just, they're gushing about it. And I'm like, okay, that's a good sign. That, that's a that good something's, sign. Something's yeah. If you good. run a couple sessions for people, whether it's a show or not, and it's just radio silence on like email or texts, like for weeks, uh, for a couple weeks after a few sessions, it's like, I feel like I'm doing something wrong. You know what I mean? Like, but if they're all bantering with each other about how good it is, then you know you got something great there. Yeah. So it's I'm excited. Uh, it's it's a very very cool chapter that they're going to be heading into, and uh, they've already made some really interesting decisions. And what I told them going into it, I was like, you know, think of these early episodes as like we've closed the book on one portion of the story. We're starting a new season. Think about introducing elements early on that are going to they're like take your character in a new direction and will resolve this arc one way or another over the season. You know, we already know certain things about these characters but let's introduce new things through some like uh downtime scenes and see where it goes and like just through improv just through fucking improv some really really interesting things have come out so fans for time fans of time for chaos i think are going to really like this if you didn't listen my god go back uh and listen there was some some magic that we weaved and uh, i'm excited to get it going not ready to announce a release date yet although i do have it in our calendar yeah, it is in the calendar, but when it's ready to announce, we'll announce it. it <laughs> a lot of factors that go into when we announce that. Yeah. But we'll let you know. We'll let you know when we can. Um, yeah, you know, I think that speaking from handling Delta Green, I think that there is – there's something about running a Pathfinder game or a D&D game where there's a rhythm to it that has this kind of like where you can benchmark your flow through encounters. Like you kind of know these encounters exist and the in-between time, yeah, you can be surprised. Yeah, things can go off on tangents. Yeah, you got to be flexible. Let the players drive the story. But you can at least conceptualize the flow of where things are going to go by, by these little dots that you're hitting along the way in the form of encounters of one kind or another. And that just doesn't happen in Delta Green and it doesn't happen in Call of Cthulhu because – the players truly can kind of go anywhere and do anything in any way that they want. And so, yeah, it puts a lot of stress on uh, keepers or handlers to navigate that and really put the uh, put the players in the driver's seat. It, it's stressful. It's very stressful. And pacing, you know, you're, you're in a certain point, you when you play these games and you're running it as a keeper or a game master or a handler or whatever, you're you're really a director in that sense. Like you're actively involved, but there's so much role play going on. When you're interjecting yourself, you're you're trying to extend the scene, uh, find out what where this scene is going, but also make sure making sure that the pace is on point. So you're doing this all simultaneously because it's for an audience. A home game, let it meander. But uh, you know, I don't know if you feel this, but like I'm always. You know, I'm not going to rush Ross Bryant when he's improvising, you know, but at the same time, I have a, a sense of pace for the scene that like I've got to push along as yeah. we're doing it. And everyone has their own different paces. So kind of managing that, it's just a whole different beast. It is. It is. And I, I'm, uh, 
I I don't stress as much about that, I guess, because I can feel it. I think I have a good sense of feeling it. Like when you and Sydney are role playing together in Get in the Trunk, it's great to let it go for a while. You guys do a lot of great stuff, but you can kind of feel it coming to a close. And that's a good time to cut away to the other players or have a knock at the door or, you know, whatever that comes in to interrupt the scene. You got to feel that pace as a a handler uh, to know when a scene is wrapping up because sometimes players will just keep going and going yeah. and they'll wait for a cue from you because you are the director, right? Like they, they want a cue from you as to when this story moves on. And so, uh, you don't want to be like, are you guys done your scene? Like <laughs> you should end the scene in some way, some small way. I remember doing this last season. Do you remember when, uh, Roger and, uh, and co were in that bar right before you had butted the dude? Yeah. Like there was a scene there where you guys were talking about, the the plot what to do next what you were going to blah 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 and i could feel it kind of starting to go in circles like nobody was really coming to any conclusions on what to do next and there was a little bit of like uh, and as soon as i felt it i uh i was like guy walks up with uh with the cds selling cds you know what i mean like little things like that and that what that does is that breaks up that little flow of that scene and gives you guys a chance to reset enters a new element and it just refreshes everything. You know, it doesn't end yeah. the whole scene, but it it ends that sort of circular motion that the players were talking themselves into. Yeah, that's and that's really what you're doing. You're you're part puppet master, part director, part screenwriter, uh, and you're just kind of throwing things in there to, uh, you know, you you have you have you have an sense of internal rhythm that the players couldn't possibly have because they're trying to think of too many different things. But at the same time, if you're playing with GMs. You know, you or or people who are, are are natural storytellers, you can kind of rely on them to find it as well. That's that's what improv for me so much, and, and we're doing a lot more of it in uh, Glass Cannon podcasts. It's like, and I think this is a helpful hint. When I start improvising with someone on the show, I often start by meandering. Let's meander a little bit because we're trying to find out what is the game of this scene. You know, and and this is sort of a UCB uh, Del Close. Uh, improv-y type school thing. It's like, what is the game of this scene? We don't know what the game of the scene is yet. Is it someone's trying to get something out of it or is there is there a joke here that we're going to mine? Find it. You meander a little bit, but you're really trying to meander to find the game of the scene as fast as possible. And then once you find the game of the scene, how can you hammer it and expand it so that it just keeps getting funnier and funnier and funnier? Or if it's not a comedy scene, it's like, how do you just heighten and heighten and heighten and heighten? Whether that's heightening humor, heightening horror, heightening drama, it's like once you figure out what the game of the scene is, it's it's just heightening and heightening and heightening till you get to a crescendo. To me, nobody does it better than Key and Peel. Key and Peel and sort of like a modern equivalent. When I took a couple of uh, sketch writing classes at UCB, they always would show Key and Peel because all those are all UCB. Uh, if people know what UCB is, Upright Citizens Brigade. Those are all UCB writers that do Key and Peel. They do it great. Like they'll introduce something and they'll just keep heightening it, heightening it, and heightening it. Um, um, you know, a great example, great examples for us. I always point to Mary Beardchin and Barry Broadfinger. Um, very, those were, we did that episode was just like shopping and stuff. And then you guys were just going to gloss over that. And I realized that the episode we were, we were going to, the episode was over. We haven't done anything. We need to do some improv here, but I had no idea what the improv was going to be. So it started off with Grant and I doing the Barry Broadfinger thing. And I go to shake his hand and Grant was like, let me insert a joke here. It's like, oh, why are your hands wet? And, it for me it was like oh because he's an OCD priest that uses his hand holy water to constantly wash his hands and then it just kept hiding and hiding Mary Beardchin it was like oh welcome to the library it, you soon realize that like she's trying to kill off her family so that she <laughs> can raise up to a higher level you know that's that's what it is we we have some stuff coming up in in uh Gatewalkers. Yeah, gatewalkers. I, I won't spoil that. Like it's it's the same thing, but it's not comedy. It's like how do you find out what the game of the scene is, and then heighten and heighten and heighten and heighten until you reach a crescendo. I've I've been enjoying what you call it, Sydney, Skid, Matthew. They all kind of turned me on to. Uh, I think you should leave. So and that's on Netflix now. So I started watching some of that, and that is insane. Like I think that there's there's some people <laughs> that I would recommend things to, like within my family and stuff like that. That like I wouldn't even recommend this show. It's like it's too crazy. Yeah. But like that is the epitome of like 
taking an idea and heightening and heightening, heightening, and then shifting so quickly that you like, you don't even see it. And then re-heightening and re-heightening, re-heightening until it is so absurd. Uh, but I really am enjoying it. It's so funny, but like the genius of how you craft that. And this is what Matthew always says about it is like the one thing he loves about it is like he can never predict where it's going to go, like where the sketch, where the punchline is. Like you can't find it because of the way that it's designed. It's, it's you know, different styles of sketch writing, but they're all based on heightening. And every one of these sketches like starts with just like a gathering of friends at, at, at like a wine tasting. Or yeah. like a couple people at a bus stop just chatting, and it's always low, and it's always smooth, and it's always quiet. And then something comes in, what? Oh, that's kind of strange. Da-da-da. You know what I mean? And then before you know it, it's like complete madness. So, uh, Portlandia anyway. did that great too. It's like they're at yeah. the restaurant. It's like, uh, is your chicken farm raised? Farm and raised. by the end of it, he's making love to the guy <laughs> that is the like religious guru that stands over the chicken farm. Like, Would you like to visit the chicken farm? And they get out of it. I mean, it just, that's what it is. And all the, all these shows that are coming out, they're all coming out of the same schools of sketch writing, whether it's uh, UCB or, you know, uh, IO out in LA or in Chicago. And so they're all using these same methods of heightening. So now it's like, I think you're going to see a lot of interesting comedy come out in the next decade as people like this show is like, how do you throw rocks at that? Well, heighten, heighten, shift, heighten, heighten, shift, heighten, heighten. It's just a different way of uh, doing the same thing. Yeah. So for us, it's we're employing those same methods and constantly trying to explore it without some really verbalizing so much about what we're doing. But you can do it in your home game too and and have people rolling or in in fear. Yeah, totally. Uh, wow, that was a little uh, side jaunt I wasn't expecting. I just want people to get excited that Time for Chaos is rocking and rolling. We're back, uh, baby! And that we have a, a release date in mind, but we're going to cement that uh, as soon as we're ready, and we'll let you know when that is. But yeah, a little tangent on improv. That was, that was fun. Let's talk about this industry news. Today's a big day I don't even in the about. history of the game that got us back into this, the game that got us launching the Glass Cannon podcast, Pathfinder, published by Paizo, has uh, made a big move. They talked about it over the summer, the Pathfinder remaster. Well, it releases today. It launches today. Today. The Pathfinder remaster. So for people that don't know, I'm actually not uh, really a, an ambassador to this. I don't really know how to explain it best. Go to Paizo's site if you want to read more about it. But... I believe the spirit behind it was motivated by a lot of the things that happened with the OGL fiasco and the whole desire to create something that is totally their own and and disassociate with a lot of the classic concepts that are tied to a copyrighted version of Dungeons and Dragons. And uh, can all see why that is happening, whether you like it or not. It, it does not change anything in your home game. It doesn't force you to do anything in your home game. However, they wanted to put out books that really changed the lexicon of the game that we all knew and kind of grew up with and, and get a fresh start and make it their own. So uh, it's it releases today. I have not delved into it. I've delved a little bit into some of the – they did a preview sheet. I read that. That was about 20 pages of where – the basic ideas of what it's going to look like. But now the whole player core is released, the new player core, which is separate. And this player core one, there's going to be another player core uh, early next year because they had to, you know, they spent time on half the classes and they've got another half of classes coming out next year. Um, let me get, first of all, your overall thoughts of the remaster in general. And is this something you plan to, uh, these changes, are these something that you plan to bring into the Glass Cannon podcast? So my thoughts from a, for a business perspective, I think it's great. And this is part of the reason why we want to eventually develop our own, uh, our own story, our own IP and possibly even our own game. It's because we don't want to be beholden to somebody else. And, and ultimately I think that's what sort of pushed this forward. If there's no OGL debacle, I don't know. I, I should ask them, Dave. Like, was this in the works before the OGL debacle? And I, I, I'd be shocked if they were like, "Yes, it was." Um, maybe it was. Um, but I wouldn't I, be shocked at all if they said, "Yes, it was." Yeah, yeah. yeah I, really I guess was, I wouldn't be shocked either way. <laughs> but like, you know, I just feel like if anything, it it, it pushed it forward. Um, so from a business perspective, I think it's a, I think it's a smart move, and it's something that uh, I, I think we should be doing as well. We don't want to have to. You know, we don't want to, we can't build a business if you're constantly asking for, for permission. We're lucky we work with great partners like Paizo where it's that relationship has developed over the years where, um, you know, it's much more of a partnership. Um, in terms of the actual thing itself, 
Uh, I don't want to say I couldn't care less. <laughs> but so you know, I'll, like, so I'll say nothing. <laughs> well, you know, this fundamentally changes a lot of the game. Like, yeah, no, I see your intention to try to adapt to some of these changes, or is it your intention to stay with D and D classic sort of uh, stuff? I mean, for lack of a better, yeah. Term. I mean, I updated the Foundry uh, thing. Uh, I, I did a Foundry update recently, where all of the language changed you know like so flat-footed is now called off guard some of the spells have different names i've done that that's cosmetic uh at best am i going to employ the changes i when i say i haven't even given a small thought about it i just hmm. i, I want to give my honest opinion because i think people appreciate that i really don't care it couldn't care less about this change uh and, and i and it is a lot of changes uh i think they they're it seems like people are like, ah, it's not a lot of change. There are a lot of changes to the game, yeah. fundamental changes. And maybe initially that wasn't part of the plan, but it seems like there are a lot of changes. But I'm, I'm speaking from uh, like slightly one step above ignorance. I've, I've looked into it. I've started looking at some of it. Um, seems cool, but I just, I really, I couldn't care. I, I, I'm not going to make any decisions anytime soon. I don't know. I, the, the adventure that I'm playing was written for a system. I'm, I, I'd like to stick to that system, but maybe there's some stuff we can borrow from. Um, I just, yeah, I really don't care. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I, 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 well, yeah. I mean, I don't want to, again, I'm not too well versed on it either, but I would think that it's not like we're playing an AP that can't be used with the remaster or that needs some sort of adaptation. Um, I, I don't know. May, maybe it does with certain monster abilities or something like that. I don't know. But, uh, you know, in general, I think the, the long and short of it is the, the balance of ACs and two hits and damage rolls and all that stuff is mostly, you know, mostly. That's going to stay intact. You know, there's new yeah. dying rules, which I think are terrible, um, but they're put in place, in my opinion, I think, to try and balance against hero points, which I thought were dumb. Um, so, like, in that respect, I get it. But I, I don't think I'll be changing the new dying rules because where we got rid of hero points and using our own proprietary bottle cap system, which kind of mimics it, but you don't, the economy is a lot more precious. There's no reason to make, uh, dying rules more yeah, harsh. Let's, let's I think just, those dying rules are in place to sort of combat the fact that you can con, you never die if you have hero points uh, constantly. You know, right, if, you if you're get getting a hero every point every session, down. just hold on to it until you're about to die. You know what I mean? Like it's going to be very, very hard to die. Um, right. So this system well, makes it uh, to clarify easy for to people die. that for people that don't know what Troy's talking about is there was a clara some say a an update to the rule some say a clarification really is in that the wounded condition when you are wounded we've talked about this before when you uh, gain the dying condition when you're wounded your dying value increases by your wounded value so if you're wounded one and you go down to dying one you add that wounded one to it so you're immediately dying two if you got crit you're immediately dying three. The rule change slash reinterpretation slash clarification or whatever you want to call it is that your wounded value in the remaster applies anytime you're dying. You gain the dying condition or anytime it would increase. So if you are dying two and wounded one and you fail your, uh, your recovery check, you go down one plus your wounded one, you are dying four, you're permanently dead. So if you are dying, so if you are wounded one and you go down to dying and then fail one roll and nobody heals you or anything like that, you're permanently dead if you don't have die hard. So it's brutal. But like you said, I mean, hero points wash it all away. You lose yeah, the dying condition, you lose the wounded condition, you're recovered and fine. So maybe that's I, – I get that point is that it's probably made to balance out hero points because nobody was dying. Um, but we don't – really use hero points in the traditional way in GCP. Uh, well, we use them in the traditional way. The economy is just a lot, lot, lot. You don't get them for free. Stingier. Yeah, you don't get them for free, whereas like the, as written, it's encouraged to get one every session. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously we play shorter sessions, but still you'd be getting one every two weeks, every three weeks. And uh, yeah, I just, I never liked it. And I, 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 I appreciate this change because I think it's meant to combat, combat that. But I think you're also going to end up having a lot more like one encounter days, which I don't like. Um, I, and I don't think it's a flaw of the system by any means. I just think that, um, I like days where you're, you're having a, a couple of encounters. You know, when you go into a dungeon, I don't want people resting in every room of the dungeon. I think it's immersion breaking and just kind of silly. But like, if the only way you can move on is to, 
well, if we're probably going to die if we move on, that's dumb too. So there's got to be some way to balance it. I think that these changes are going to make it a lot harder to do that. You're going to be battling, resting, battling, full resting, battling, full resting. And, uh, I don't know. That's just not my jam. It's going to make it so that you, you really can't write full dungeons. You're going to, they're going to have to be one encounter days or days where like you're, you're hit by a trap that kind of weakens everybody. Then you go into an encounter and then that's the day you got to do a full rest. Um, yeah. I, don't I mean, I don't know if I don't agree with that necessarily, but what I will say is you don't need to full rest, but what you, without that, what you do need is people trained in medicine and you have to be well-trained in medicine and you have to be good at treating wounds. And really, if you don't want to grind your game to a complete halt, you, you got to get, you know, a continual recovery feat so that you can sort of heal people quickly and keep moving. If you want to have multiple encounters in a day, that said, it, it, it seems kind of silly to be like, you have to have this ability in your party or you can't really adventure well. But also, it kind of makes sense if you're going into like horrifying physical combat that you need to have somebody who can patch people up. You got to have a medic. You got to not having a medic. Yeah. You're going to go down. I mean, I was worried about this with, with, and we'll get into this shortly with Bolon's Fortress. It's like, man, if there's going to be resting every room, it's going to be a little ridiculous. But I, I like the way that it's, it's playing out and the, the way that you guys are, are role playing it. Um, but it is a fine line between like, uh, this, this makes sense, uh, sort of narratively. And this is kind of ridiculous. And I feel I, my fear, and, and I, I can see how you would disagree with it is that this new rule is going to make it a lot harder to, uh, have multiple encounters in one day. Unless the GM is just like throwing hip, throwing hero, hero points out for like, that was great. You know, that was great. You know, because that's the only way you're going to encourage another encounter because it would, no one, people are going to be very loath. To, especially when you can't remove the wounded condition until you rest, right? Maybe no, there's another it, no, way. No, treating wounds removes it. Treating so, wounds, okay. That's right. why I'm saying if you just treat wounds, you're fine. But like just treating wounds is easy to say. Like you got to still roll a die. You got to be trained in it yeah. at least. And you really can't make it a quick process until you're an expert in it. And uh, it's really like having nobody trained in that. I don't think that's necessarily a failure of the system that you have to have somebody trained in this ability to make it a feasible game to play. I I don't think that that's necessarily a failure of the system. I think that's like saying like, Oh, we have a party where nobody uh, has any weapons. Um, but we're mad that we run out of spells too fast. You know, it's like, well, I mean, that's not a failure of the system. It's like, there's a certain balance. Exactly. Like I think having somebody that needs to be trained in medical uh, (laughs) healing is a, a very wise and important and basic thing to make to make it immersive, you know? Yeah. Uh, it'd be silly to go out there with somebody that doesn't know how to patch up a, a cut. You can have a party without a cleric, absolutely. But, like, if you're going to go there and no one knows how to heal, you're going to die. Like, it's just <laughs> you, that's not a failure of the system. It's like you've got to work around the sort of restrictions of, of the reality. You know, when you're playing a four-person party, if someone isn't going to be a rogue, you're going to have a lot of trouble with locked doors and traps. But if someone goes rogue, that means one less caster or one less frontline fighter, one less ranged right. fighter. I mean, that's kind of the beauty of the four uh, the four PC party. It's like something's got to give. Yeah. You know, if you're going to do a bard, yeah, you're going to be great at buffing, but now you're not going to have a real good blasting spellcaster uh you know i, I think that that is a a, a a sort of i can't think of a plus of these systems is that um but yeah i don't know i think that my rule you is seem fine with the rest in this week's episode this week's episode there is a rest with our first rest within bolon's fortress this this gnomish uh village that uh, up in the trees that we decide to settle in and rest. We do a peak up above. Uh, we get a, a, a vantage point on the roof and we can see there's drawbridges to other buildings or at least one drawbridge to another building. You see multiple other buildings and we don't see any enemies uh, right away. But then it's like, all right, well, why don't we camp down here and, and rest? And I know that from a very basic standpoint, you're very anti-resting in a dungeon crawl, like during a, a dungeon crawl. But you seem fine with this one. Uh, I'm not sure what it is that makes that change for you. Uh, maybe it was a it was already a multiple encounter day. Maybe maybe that's why. I think it was three encounters, three almost four before we rested. Um, but I mean, to me, resting in a dungeon crawl is a necessity. It, it happens, and if you don't like it as a GM. Then just attack them while they're resting. For sure. Like, for sure. You can do that whenever you want. Just a patrol comes by, you know. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think in this instance, it, it just made sense. And you guys, uh, you had to do it. It was inevitable. You, you guys were beat up. You had to do it. And also, I think you took proper pains to see if like this was a safe place to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, as far as you, anyone knows that there's, there's people that are in there and they don't want to go in there. So they're not going to bother. If nobody comes in and out of there, they're not going to think about it. Now, with the guards dispatched as well, people might be wondering where the guards is, but you can already, where the guards are, but you can already tell that like, there's a little bit of the inmates running the asylum feel here. Yeah. Like it's a little bit of chaos. Keep a watch, put home alone up the stairs and, and see what happens. So <laughs> I, I think it worked. Now that's not to say that I might not be rolling behind the scenes, doing some perception checks. Hey, where are the guards? Why haven't they some come? Some random encounter. John's random uh, patrols. <laughs> I also feel like at a certain point, these adventures kind of understand the reality and they give you sort of uh, things to overcome this very obvious narrative nonsense. Like it happened in Giant Slayer. You had the invisible tent. You know, there's spells that give you like you cast a spell and you're you're all hidden and in a pizza Extra planar space. Yeah, extra yeah. planar, John. Uh, you know, you're going to have those options eventually. So early on, you've just got to find a way to make it narratively work. And I feel like you guys – yeah, yeah, I, I liked that scene, and it also offered some time for uh, some characters to talk. This is, brings up an interesting thing, which I, I don't think we'll get a, a, any re- good answer to this question, but I just want to throw it out there. Picked it up more on the re-listen. Um, Talitha, as we go to to, to lay down, uh, pulls Buggles aside, wants to talk privately to Buggles, and seems like uh, dodgy about Buggles maybe being in her head. Uh, when he does the healing and stuff mm-hmm. like that and is a little bit uh, cagey about this and is like, I just want – if you see anything or, or anything in there or whatever, I just want you to talk to me first. Like don't don't talk to anybody else. And I didn't really pick up on it the first time This in the realist and I'm like, is something going on there? Like obviously like nobody wants anybody poking around in their head. <laughs> but it seems like there might be something excessive here in the mind of Talitha that might be very bad if we found it out or something like that. My question to you is, is that right? Do you know something <laughs> about this character that's effed up that like Maybe. if we found out? Maybe. I think it's a cool moment by Matthew. I think everyone should be looking for these moments. I always say like have secrets, have secrets from the other players. Uh, you can have secrets from me if you want, but like letting me know is going to help me sort of, you know, plant that field with you. Um, but yeah, that was that was a great little moment. Maybe I know. Maybe it's something new that Matthew hasn't told me about yet. But I do know some secrets about Talita. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> I do know some secrets about Talita. <laughs> uh, uh, all right, awesome. Well, let's uh, let's go into the uh, let's go into We Are Stupid. I'm going to tell you that We Are Stupid uh, is going to include remaster tips here uh, going forward because we're going to just start educating people on what some of these changes are, whether we're adopting them or not. Uh, you will get a sense of what changes they're making and and why in some cases. Before we get into that, though, let's talk about about a previous uh, fodder in our discussion about the um, the shillelagh and two-handing versus one-handing, just some clarifications from Professor Eric that I think are important for you to know as a GM who's going to be running these characters. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming more Oak Stewards to come. Uh, just to clarify, when you are casting spells, you do not need to remove a hand from a two-handed item. Yeah. So if you cast a spell, you don't need to spend an extra action to put it back on because the rules of somatic components say specifically you can have shit in your hands and still do it. The only reason, the only way you can't do it is if you are restrained uh, or otherwise. You can do this. Exactly. And and so you don't have to remove the hand for that. Did I say you had to? Because I feel like I I, I don't think you said that specifically, but it's more of a clarification of why he brought it up. The reason he brought it up had less to do with spell casting and more to do with. Opening a door, which is like clearly you needed a free hand to do that. Throwing a dagger. If you threw a dagger the round before, there, there needs to be some action where you put your hand back on. Yeah. Just little things like that. I just wanted to reiterate to everybody because I forget it too, that somatic rules do not require you to have an, a free hand to gesture to cast spells. You can be holding something. Unless in this you're case, restrained. Yeah, unless or you're grappled. restrained. Is it grabbed or restrained, or is it just restrained? It's just restrained. Okay. Uh, so like the hardest way. Yeah, restrained, bound, uh, pinned, okay. et cetera. So you can be uh, grabbed and still cast. Yeah, with a flat check. You have to do a flat check if right. you are grabbed. Uh, I believe it's DC5 flat That's check. That's cool. Yeah. Um, 
All right, let's go into uh, this week's uh, episode. A little, a little uh, shout out to Troy from Professor Eric. He uh, heard your adjustments that you're making about. You said you were making some adjustments and we're adjusting very few things and you were not adjusting ACs. You were not adjusting to hits, but occasionally if you needed to, you felt like you were adjusting hit points. He mm-hmm. says, I think that this is a really good approach. The elite template, which is what, uh, my buddy at Order of the Amber Die was using. I told you he had a seven person, seven PC party was putting the elite template on everything and it was brutal, brutal. Characters were going down constantly. And but it made it feel like, you know, with with seven people, you could sort of fight back against it. What Professor Eric points out is that the elite template can kind of get overused. Mm -hmm. And what it ends up doing is it it creates these issues where people can't hit anything and the monsters hit so hard that it, it. too drastically swings the thing. Whereas adding more hit points makes it, it might make it go around longer, but it feels more like the game is meant to feel. Uh, it just extends things a little bit longer. And yeah, that can, that can also give an opportunity for a PC to go down, but it doesn't seem like it's going down because the two hit is too high. Um, also, just, yeah, I was just going to say, it's like, cause I, I noticed a lot of people will bring this up. Like we know how to, how to adapt it. It's just different for adapting a show versus adapting a home game. I can elite weak template anything. That's not good for a show. We've, I've, I've learned this, uh, the hard way, especially with the live shows. It's like more enemies, harder enemies doesn't work. You, when you just add hit points, you get, you get, you're adjusting time. And for me, I'm, I'm running a show that is based on time. I need to get things moving in a certain way. I can always, and the hit points to me are the one thing that is sort of adjustable, or at least they were in one E. It's like 48 plus 10 is that particular hit point yeah. but they may tell you that's 50 well what if it's 56 what if it's 47 um you know that to me gives me a lot more control and it's not like you guys are mashing you know what i mean like if i feel like <laughs> we're oh, going I, down constantly uh, like yeah. uh in terms of you know just being unconscious and dying if i start adding em- enemies or making them more difficult it's just it's it's not not good radio yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, but just to those that are maybe thinking about doing this in their own games, you know, the, the, the tip from Professor Eric is add more low level enemies if you've got people, if you've got players with AOE spells, because if they have that, it just is fun for them. It, it yeah. gives them an opportunity to hit more things like that. That's fun. Um, but otherwise, just adding hit points is a great way to go to make your game a little bit more exciting on both counts, like you said, sometimes sometimes you're doing less hit points because you're like, they've got this in hand. Let's just keep this moving. But sometimes you're doing more hit points because you're like, this feels like it's too easy. We have to have to bump this up somehow. Um, okay. So uh, important treat wounds clarification. Important treat wounds clarification. Oh, man. I think I caught this. Did uh, you? Yeah. Not during the show, but afterwards. But Go this on. is, is going to be nasty. <laughs> it's gonna make it a little more difficult especially the way you guys roll <laughs> <laughs> well really all that we did wrong in this case is we're talking about the time right the time it takes to like after an encounter to recoup recover and get back at it continual recovery is a great thing but you don't have that first level that's something that i hope to get with brother ramius but don't have it now and it is like that one hour wait that you have to do for treat wounds before you can do it again is it's pretty brutal and it slows things down. But you know, that, that is what it is. Um, sorry, that's, I'm looking at this on Demi plane right now and trying to, all right, let's, let's see if I can get this in here. So basically the, the thing that we point out here and we have to remember, and it might be one of these like blind spots for us is, uh, bring it up here. Let's see. There it is. Treat wounds. Uh, so treat wounds. You spend 10 minutes uh, treating one living creature. Uh, I'm going to do a full screen on this thing. Treating one living creature. Then it's temporarily immune to treat wounds actions for one hour. This is the key point here. Not just it's, for the person that did it. Exactly. Not for you. Not temporarily immune to your treat wounds, but the treat wounds action in general. So what we did in the episode, a little bit of a futz up, is when I failed on a treat wounds against um, on Lucky, I mean, I failed on Talitha as well. Talitha was like, all right, I'll just do it to myself. Yeah. I mean, this isn't just and, an episode mess up. This is something we've been doing for a while. Yeah. <laughs> Live shows like, as well. Exactly. So like, 
saying like, oh, I treat wounds, even if I'm successful, right? I treat wounds on Talitha. Let's say that takes 10 minutes. And then Talitha says, all right, and then I'm going to treat wounds on myself. All right, so now that's been 20 minutes and I've got two treat wounds. No, you have to wait an hour before you can even do it on yourself. Uh, So important thing to also remember that when and if uh, Ramius lasts long enough, if I can get myself continual recovery, that like it's very bad idea tactically for anyone else to treat wounds ever besides brother Ramius. We'll say as an example. Well, yeah, until you fail. And then you got to decide, should we wait an hour so someone else can try? Like, you should always be. Well, no, even if I fail, it's only 10 minutes if I have that feat, right? Right. If you're the primary healer, you're the primary medicine, medicine or whatever, whatever, and you have continual recovery, that they're only immune for 10 minutes. But if Talitha does it to somebody, they're immune for an hour until I can get back on it, right? So it's like tactically you got to keep an eye out for that and i think that that's a little bit of a downside a little bit of a system issue where role-playing wise like talitha's just never going to treat any wounds again uh i don't know it's interesting something to keep in mind but thank you for pointing that out uh professor eric somewhere some somewhere around the beginning of next year we'll get that right on the show (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) exactly i mean I, i think that i've i've said it before i'll say it again everybody just keep in mind we're recording well ahead on this stuff, so you're not even going to hear us mention a remaster, I don't think, for quite a while. But, you know, you'll, you'll see it eventually. It'll, it'll flow through as, as we go. Um, all right. Let's talk about Sugar Rush. Sugar Rush. <laughs> These things were amazing. Malixi. Malixi. your scone. Malixi. your scone. Well, look at this. We've got the Malixi right here. We can bring up stats and stuff. You can get a sense of, like, what it was doing. But uh, – just amazing. The, the main thing I wanted to point out, though, is the Sugar Rush ability, because Sugar Rush, this special ability, is – it is uh, – it basically makes them quickened, right? And yeah, it's a very specific type of quickened. Exactly. And so what you want to point out here is the Malixi is quickened, and quickened means that you get an extra action, you know, uh, I think, right? Quickened means you get an ex- extra action. But- you gain one additional action at the start of your turn each round. Right. So they eat this uh, large quantity of sugar, honey, or nectar or similar sweets. It goes into a frenzied state. It becomes quickened, meaning it would get another action next turn. However, there was there's one very specific thing about this monster and this ability. The Malixi immediately strides or flies as part of this single action right here. It's mm-hmm. a single action to eat it. And it gets a free strider fly. So you're not actually using a quickened action yet. You just get that free strider fly and then you are quickened and we'll get an, another action next turn. So, But even that action you get the next turn, it, 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 the way it reads to me is you can only use it to strider fly. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, yeah, like- yeah. 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 I'm sorry. It actually says that there. I, I moved on before we got to the last line. The Maluxi is quickened and can use the additional action only to stride or fly. Similar to haste where – you know, we see this in Glass Cannon Live with uh, 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 Matthew's character, who I'm blanking mm-hmm. on at the moment. Um, Ethel. Ethel, where you can, you're hasted, you can get an additional stride or strike action. Uh, it doesn't let you just do anything with your extra action. Uh, and then this is what comes up huge in the episode. Gets Talitha a bottle cap, gets Matthew a bottle cap. As soon as the rush ends, the Malixi is fatigued for one minute. That was huge. Uh, yeah. As as long as the we we waited out the rush, and then it became a lot easier. Really fun, I thought. Role play by you to role play the fatigued Mixie. <laughs> I'll butter your bread. <laughs> I like it. The other side. I'll shoot you. Like, whoa. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa! That, was, that took a turn. He's got a gun. He's <laughs> got a gun. Stay back. <laughs> Stay back. That was fun. Oh man, fun times, fun times. Um, okay. Let me inter- – I'm going to do one more thing before we move on to listener mail here. We're going to do listener mail quick. We'll do one. One question in listener we'll one. mail. We'll do one. But we'll do one. Before we get to that, though, I want to bring something to your attention that I'm sure that you don't know about, which is Divine Lance, a cantrip for a cleric that we have discussed we'll behind the scenes. I don't think that this is on air. But behind the scenes, I came to you and I said, Divine Lance is going to be an issue because it is a primary damage-dealing cantrip for me, and it is based completely around alignment, which is one of the primary concepts that is being moved on from in the remaster. 
the the actual wording of uh, divine lance says choose an alignment that is one of your deities, right? Lawful, uh, lawful, chaotic, good or evil, and then make a ranged spell attack against the target's AC. If you hit and they are subject to damage from that kind of alignment, uh, you do one d four plus your spell casting modifier in Dimaggio. Well, this is what's changed. So what we were saying is, all right, well, let's just, we'll call it holy damage. And we'll just say it's holy damage and it'll damage everybody that, you know, isn't holy, essentially. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's kind of how we thought we would approach it. But this is the way that they actually did it in the remaster. Professor Eric has the, the text on hand and they introduced something called spirit damage, which I don't recall being in the non-remaster. I don't know if that if I missed it before, but I don't think that that was a kind of damage before. No, um, I don't think so. There's now a damage called spirit damage. And uh, here's here's the, 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 the write-up for spirit damage. I don't have it yet because it's, it's not out yet as we're recording this, so I don't have it uh, up yet on the screen. But just to walk through it really quick, spirit damage directly affects the spiritual essence of a creature. Spirit damage can can damage a target projecting its consciousness or possessing another creature. So like it damages what's inside of you and not your actual body. It damages your spirit. And so what this is saying is spirit damage can damage a creature that is possessing a creature's body. It can hurt the creature that's possessing it in a completely other location, which is kind of neat. Spirit damage does not harm creatures that have no spirit such as constructs. Many effects that deal damage also have the sanctified, holy, or unholy trait. All of these are described in blah, blah, blah. So we'll get more into that as we continue to play and as we see more of this remaster. But to sum it up, Professor Eric says, basically it affects almost everything aside from constructs or things with objects, uh, object immunities. Uh, Divine Lance also used to be used as a kind of evil detector while also maybe doing some damage you'd also get an important important point of knowledge uh no more that that is no more no longer are you going to be able to use it for that it's going to be straight up does it have a spirit or not you know uh which is kind of interesting also this is something that's changing in the remaster a lot of the cantrips are no longer adding not all of them but a lot of them are no longer adding your spellcasting modifier to the damage Mm. but they are upping the damage dice so the base dice is now 2d4, but it gets no plus from your spellcasting modifier. It's going to swing a little more wildly. Right. So instead of 1d4 plus 4, it's 2d4 uh, spirit damage. So those are the changes to the official Divine Lance. You and I can talk about if we're going to like use this in the show or whatever. But, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, it you know, what's, what's interesting with Divine Lance is by us sort of uh, being cagey about alignment uh, or removing or whatever, it, it kind of gives you a, an extra action. Because normally you'd want to do a knowledge check specifically to find out what their alignment is so that you can then key the alignment of the lance to them. I would say you're going to do that probably 50% of the time. You're not going to be like, mm, I'm going to say uh, chaotic evil and throw it and then it doesn't do damage, right? Like Malixies are chaotic neutral. Don't you have to key it to chaotic neutral before you cast it? No, no, it doesn't work that way. You, you, you choose the alignment that you wanted to have or whatever, but choose it, it's limited. Deity it's limited by your own deity's alignments. You can't just like choose whatever you want. Oh, it just um, does specific alignment damage, which is yeah, right. Exactly. So, right. so the one difference is that like you would good normally you would be doing good damage and you would think that this would hit an evil creature. Sometimes you might think though, maybe I need to do lawful damage. Right. If that's what your deity is, but your deity has to be that you're not going to be able to ping pong between chaotic or lawful. Yeah. It, you know, it's going to be one or the other. Choose what it is. So yeah, it really doesn't make any difference. If you, if these right. rule, if the remastered rules interest you, you know, I'm totally open to doing it. Um, yeah. It, it's see, I mean, I like this idea of spirit damage. It's an interesting concept that basically you don't harm the physical body, you harm the spirit. And a lot of times that's just going to mean harming the spirit of the creature you're hitting. But I do, I think it's interesting that it's also being clear about this also hurts whoever's projecting their consciousness into something or possessing another creature, even if the target's body is elsewhere. Uh, it's very cool. It's, it's like, uh, you know, uh, Gandalf and, and, uh, uh, with uh, Theoden when he like, you know, knocks Saruman out of his <laughs> yeah. head. It, also, it hurts Saruman as well. Uh, it doesn't hurt Theoden's body. You know, it's, it's kind of an interesting concept, spirit damage. That's kind of cool. 
Yeah. Anyway, more to come on that as the weeks progress. We'll see what kind of remaster changes we're looking at. Maybe we'll look at one one a week, something like that, uh, as as it comes up in our game. Um, Thank you, Professor Eric, for for putting the work in there. I I love it. Uh, All right. Let's get on to a little listener mail. (laughs) Sing it, Nick. (laughs) 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 It's time to listen to me. Gotta get your brain up on it. Time Thank you, good buddy Nick Lowe. This one comes in from Roger, which I think is uh, kind of ironic and funny because Roger says, in a previous episode of Cannon Fodder, Troy said he thought the Delta Green system was weak. This is from Roger. Very interesting. <laughs> uh, the question is, which systems are your favorites right now and why? I haven't been playing along, but so far, I like World of Darkness and Blades in the Dark systems. Fate has conspired to stop me from trying Call of Cthulhu or Delta Green yet. Um, yeah, so what are some of your favorites right now, Troy, in terms of game systems that you've, you've been well, playing? Well, it's funny because I, I would say Call of Cthulhu is my favorite. and People are like, it's the same game. And it is Absolutely not. But I don't want to speak ill of uh, the Delta Green system. These guys work really hard on it. And I think that it it works really well for the game that they've made. But it lacks, to me, the sort of depth and um, sort of um, crunch. Depth and cr- crunch. I, I had the word on the tip of my tongue, but it's not crunch. It's like the the depth and the layers that Call of Cthulhu has, with the the difference between hard, you know, hard success and extreme success. Um, all of the sort of development that goes on um, between phases for character development, uh, the way that skills are. Uh, that go up and down the use of luck. I mean, to me, there's just so many bells and whistles that um, I prefer in the game because I don't want to just role play all the time. And um, sometimes in Delta green, it feels like the roles don't matter um, or they um, there's just no way you're going to ever succeed at the role. So it doesn't yeah, sure. I'll roll it. And then, you know, maybe it'll go up by a D10 next time around. So that's why I, I, I said that to me. They are wildly different games. Um, and that's why I prefer Call of Cthulhu. So I like Call of Cthulhu. I really liked Vampire when we played it, uh, with Jared. You know, we, we, and, mm-hmm. uh, I played it now a couple times. Uh, only really dabbled, but, uh, definitely some interesting mechanics. Again, a very role play heavy game. Um, <laughs> and like uh, dark role play too. Dark, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's something we could have a lot of fun with if we ever really wanted to get back into it. Yeah, for real. Um, you know, and I'm, I'm really enjoying Pathfinder 2E, you know, especially the more that we play it like on a weekly basis. I, I, I definitely like it. I, I think I like it more than first edition. Um, it's crazy to me that you guys are still playing first edition in a game. I'd be like, what, what the hell's going on here? I said that this was going to be really hard and somebody was like, no, it's not. You play two different games all the time, blah, blah, blah. And, like, I just disagree. It might just be my brain, but, like, man, there are so many times when we're in the middle of a legacy session and I'm like, oh, my God. Like, I'm losing it more and more and more. Like, all the one sort of knowledge that we had is so out of practice. Even though we're playing this game semi-weekly, it's, it's like – it's hard to keep track of it all because we're we've definitely the pendulum has swung the other way. We have yeah. such a high volume of two e play now that like I'm. It's not that I'm crossing over concepts all the time, but I'm just forgetting something came up recently in Legacy. I don't remember what it was, but I was like, you know, and a lot of them they're they're so close, like flanking, right? Like flanking is so close, but it's different. It's it's worded differently. Th- different immunities happen. Different like. Uh, and, and, and power wise, it's very different, but yeah, I don't know. And the other one is like, obviously we love blades in the dark and, uh, you know, before Jared came on, I had planned to run a blades in the dark show on the network. And then when Jared, we, we brought Jared on, that was the game he wanted to run. I was like, all right, then that's going to be yours. And I'm going to just let it go. And I wanted to pivot to band of blades, which I've spent a lot of time reading and, uh, listening about, you know, we're not at a point now where we can just, I really want to play this game. Let's do a series. It just doesn't work that way anymore. It's not very cost effective, but like, that's a game that I would love to run someday. Band of blades. I love the mechanics. It is so vastly different than blades in the dark. Like the core mechanic is there, but you play multiple characters. Like in downtime, you play other characters than you play during the mission phase. And then sometimes on the next mission, you play a different character 
they even have mechanics where like somebody else plays the character you played in the first session. Like the commander decides who's playing everybody or the field marshal. I can't remember one of those things. I don't know if I like that so much. I would rather, I, I think I'd make some tweaks, but uh very, very, very different game. And that's something I, I could, I think I could get lost in. Uh But for, for me right now, you can't beat Call of Cthulhu. Um, and I, I wish we could play more of it on the network, to be honest, even though I lament prepping for it and, and recording the sessions all the time. But that's just like my OCD-ness, and I wish – I'm trying to get better at letting that go. But it's really fucking hard, man. It's hard. I would love to just go into a, even a Strange Aeons live show and be like, ah, I'm so ready. I'm so laid back. Let's just – and I can't. I'm just like miserable backstage. No, I can't talk to anybody. And then afterwards, I'm usually like, that was terrible. <laughs> so I was yeah. listening to uh, the sports talk guys in Philly that that I enjoy uh, this past week. And they had back on – there was this this guy who's this personality who is considered to have built this network in, in Philly. Uh, he's the morning talk show host. And he was yeah. – for like 35 years, he did it. So he started in the early 90s. There was like no market for sports talk. And he grew it and grew it and grew it. And now it's an absolute monster with mul- multiple millions of listeners every day. And uh, he retired uh, last year, earlier this year, in like February this year. And he hasn't been you know on the radio at all. And then last week, he came on and did like a little interview. And it cracked me up because one of the things he said, they were talking about like, well, what – what has changed about since you left, since you retired? Well, you know, they're going through all these kind of questions. And he was like, well, there's a lot of things I didn't talk to people about, about at the time or whatever. And now he's 70, 74 years old or 73 years old, something like that. And he's basically like, I would do a show. And he's like, I would be miserable before every show. And I would do the show. And if one little, one little thing wasn't perfect during the show. I could not stop thinking about it for the rest of the four hours. And I would drive home in a rage and it happened almost every single day. And he's like, I had a, I had a real problem. I never talked to anybody about it. And then I went and got some therapy and it's actually starting to work. And it's starting to realize (laughs) like what was going on in my brain that made me think things were bad that weren't bad, you know, yeah. and like wh- where that comes from and everything. He's like, and I'm learning, I'm learning. And I'm like a little happier. He's saying this. He's like, I'm a little happier, <laughs> like a little bit more relaxed than I was. But a lot of people didn't know that. It's, I was just like miserable. I, I thought every show stunk and people would be like, what, what, what are you talking about? It was a great show, you know? And I just couldn't help but think of you because like, it's not a hundred percent of the time. <laughs> you come off the stage, plenty of shows and you're like that crushed like you, you do that yeah, a lot. for sure for sure but there are some shows where you're just like down in the dumps and i'm like and sometimes we agree we're both a little dumpy but other times i'm like i think that was a really good show and you're like no nope, no nope. well you always you had a great analogy once you were like when you know we were preparing for uh you know hosting a big event and like you could walk into that event that we're hosting and there's thousands of people there and like the font could be wrong on one banner and you'll lose your mind. <laughs> there could be like one hanging banner. All these people could just be like, draw, draw, draw. And like, he's yeah. just looking up at the font. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> like, I, yeah, I'm sure therapy can help with that. I always think it's so fucking rude when people are like, you need therapy. You should go to therapy. Like, yeah, some people really need therapy. Other people can handle their shit in their own way. I think it's like so rude. Matthew does it all the time. I'm like, why don't you go deal with your therapy? I don't know. misery doesn't love company i'm fine over here but i do think that there is something it's just it's just this perfectionist nature i can remember back to being a uh a freshman in college and i was a theater major. i was theater english major and i had to uh you part of being the theater major is it was liberal arts college you just didn't do acting you had to do set design you had to work backstage you had to do this and then you'd have to some of your credits where you had to work backstage uh doing different tech stuff for shows whether you were building the set uh helping to do this and so i got my freshman year i was in the sound booth for steel magnolias uh <laughs> and so i'm just watching the guy who was a couple years older than me uh is he was this the stage manager and he was the one calling the cues like all right go to this queue go to that queue go to this queue and i remember being like man all it takes is one mistake and it's just it falls up the whole show and and he said something he's like well you never you never want to call a per, you never want to call a perfect show because then you got nothing to work towards the next day. And of course, in theater, like sometimes mistakes lead to the greatest discoveries on stage. And that happens on uh, our shows as well. For mm-hmm. me, what stresses me out is the not, is the not knowing and, and, and I can't ensure that it's going to be perfect. 
uh, or not even per- it doesn't have to be perfect. It's going to be great. Like if I just yield the stage and two people eat shit at my yielding, I feel personally responsible. Like I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have given them that power. <laughs> that I terrible. shouldn't have given them a chance. I shouldn't have given them a chance. Uh, <laughs> That's I'm, so sad. I'm kind of talking in circles a little bit, but like it's just a, it's just, it's not a, uh, 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 like everything is bad. If this doesn't work, it's just this constant desire to, to be better. Like, I don't want to call a perfect game. I just want it to always be better and better and better. And better. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, that is going to wrap it up for us this week, man. I knew that was going to end up being a chunk. Yeah, that was a chunk. Chunky five, but a lot going on with the remaster, uh, a lot going on in Gatewalkers. I mean, get deeper and deeper into this crawl and really exciting stuff coming with Gloomhaven this week. And, and uh, uh, what is it? Over the Edge, another new game on Labs this week. Uh, so, yeah, Over the Edge. So, yeah, just just awesome stuff going on. Yeah, next man. week is Thanksgiving, buddy. I mean, it's just flying by. It's No crazy. Gatewalkers next week. Oh, yeah, no Gatewalkers next week, but we'll have a fodder before that, so we'll talk more about that uh, then. So until next time, take it easy, everybody. Have a fantastic week and weekend, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Or we'll see you live on Friday, 12 o'clock Eastern. He committed! (laughs) Why did I scream? Thanks for listening to the Glass Cannon Network. For more podcasts and live streams, visit glasscannonnetwork.com. And for exclusive shows and content you can't find anywhere else, subscribe today at jointhenation.com. Welcome to a journey into the heart of the Texas Renaissance Festival, the nation's largest and rowdiest celebration of medieval fantasy. But what lurks beneath the facade of tights and turkey legs? Well, we dove deep into the empire to uncover a history marred by mystery and misconduct, murders, assaults, and other crimes that tarnish its legacy. This isn't just a fairy tale. It's a cautionary tale of power, fantasy, and the consequences that follow when they all collide. Search for Crime Waves Renaissance Texas on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening now.